Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Bruni's Breakdown, the 24-7 sports podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Bruni, and joining me once again is John Fields. John, fresh from Apogee Stadium, how, how are you doing tonight? Man, it's, uh, it's tough. I feel sort of, I got mixed feelings, I guess, right? Because there were so many good flashes from North Texas at times in this game that I got my hopes up, and I almost believed that they could even exceed what my prediction was, which was for this to be a fairly close game and them to cover the spread. They still cover the spread, but man, just the all the mistakes and all the stuff that added up to them ultimately losing this game. I mean, it, it was just, it was tough to watch. Not as tough as last week against Marshall, but it was tough. Uh, yeah, tough for different reasons, right? I mean, yeah, the, they start off the game, go up 7-0 in the first quarter. Um, they're clicking pretty much at that point, right? Like it's... All systems go, like everything was going according to plan. I mean, you look at the first few drives and they get to the Liberty five and then um, they, Austin Ani rolls left and throws it to Jason Pirtle and Jason Pirtle doesn't catch it and tips it up and it's intercepted at the one. Um, I don't, I put equal blame on both of them. Cause I don't think the throw was great, but I definitely think it was catchable if he was an athlete, but I don't think Jason Pearl is an athlete. Um, so, I mean, you know, I just, there's, there's some, there's enough blame to go around and then you go from there, they score, come back, score a touchdown. Um, and then they ha- end up having what one, two, three, four, five, six drives. Their first six drives all end up in the red zone in the, in the red zone. And they only score, uh, what was that? Uh, 20 points, right? 19 points, right? 20 or nine. No, 20. Yeah, so points, right? they ended up with, for the game, 19 points on seven drives to the red zone, because the one, if you look at the scoring plays, one of them was like a 20 or 30 yard run by a day. So that's why it says like it ended at UNT zero or whatever, but that's it right. wasn't actually from the red zone. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, early in the game, what, what were you thinking? Um, I mean, cause both sides of the ball, I thought we're getting after it defensively real quickly. Um, they just brought a ton of blitzes. They were just blitzing oh, the hell man. out of them, bringing pressure. They had five sacks in the first quarter and a half. And I thought it was great. I thought that's kind of how you, how, how you have to do it. And so credit to Phil Bennett for adjusting. Um, I think he definitely adjusts more than either of the coordinators that they've had in the previous years. So I'll give him that. And that was good to see early on. Yeah, no, I agree. I think the thing that stuck out to me the most was just the energy, man. They came out and they played with energy for probably the most energy they've played with all year, maybe aside from the Northwestern State game. But even that didn't feel like it was that crazy high energy of a game, right? Like they did what they were expected to do. They took care of business, but like the energy on the sidelines, I remember seeing Case and Martin jumping up and down on the sideline after one of the touchdowns and that kind of thing you could just see more energy. And when we talked to everybody post game, they all said similar things where, you know, energy and bringing the energy from the jump was really a strong emphasis heading into this one. And they did bring that energy from the start. And so, I mean, early on, especially on that first drive, I think it was like 13 plays and 70 yards. I was like, dang, this offense looks as good as it has pretty much all year. Then Ani, you know, the pick to Pirtle, I think I'd probably go 60, 40 in terms of 60% blamed Ani for that. Cause I mean, he just threw a rocket, dude. Like that was way, <laughs> way too hard of a pass. He threw it so hard, like it was ridiculous. Yeah, I don't. I can't remember the last time we've dropped an f bomb on this podcast. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I mean, I just remember watching it, and I was like, "Like, what the hell is going on? How is Ani throwing a pass like that, like that hard when Pirtle's literally five yards away and can dance into the end zone?" 
like yeah apologies for my language but <laughs> i i just i couldn't even believe it came out of nowhere it came out of nowhere. that was amazing <laughs> no that's that, that i was i was i said the same exact thing to myself when that happened i couldn't i could not believe it and uh you know those are the type of plays that good quarterbacks good teams just i mean you just got to make that play at the end of the day and that's a routine play you see every every saturday every sunday just a quick bootleg out dump off to the tight end that leaks out open receiver you just got to make that play um they end the game real quickly which i don't even know if i said the final score or anything i mean liberty ends up winning the game 35 to 26 uh north texas ends the game with 454 yards um liberty ends it with 351 yards uh North Texas, very balanced as we would expect to this point, 242 rushing yards, 212 passing yards, um, eight of 20 on third downs, three of five on fourth downs, which I think was promising. Um, you mentioned the offense being in a rhythm early, and I, I definitely agree that they were, right? Um, I mean, they were, they were without Ethan Mooney, their kicker, so that was that was something to consider as well going throughout the game. But um, they were in a rhythm early, and I – was waiting on Liberty to kind of adjust because Austin Ani and this receiving group, but we've talked about it before. They have nobody that can beat you down the field. Like nobody at all. Like at this point, their biggest deep threat is probably like what Damon Ward. Yeah. I mean, he's probably the biggest one. He's shown plenty of like yards after the catch and that kind of thing this year. But I mean, yeah, they don't have a whole lot of guys that can beat you over the top. And even when they do, you, we saw Ani tonight miss a couple of passes on throws he really should have hit. You yep. know, one of them looked like it could have been a touchdown. So, yep. I mean, yeah, there's just not really a deep attack you know, just because of the combination of the receivers that are out and then Ani not being able to make the plays when they're available. Yeah, so that's what I was like, because Liberty was kind of giving them a little bit too much respect in that in that um, area. So I was like, you got to sell out, stop the run, and just make Austin Ani beat you to a degree or just completely zone up the underneath and just get, make him throw that dime down the sideline or something like that. And they just never really did that. And so North Texas got in a rhythm. They were able to run their RPOs, run their uh, quick uh, read options, run their option route type stuff and move the chains. And I was waiting for Liberty to adjust and they never really did. So credit to North Texas for doing that. But um I mean, yeah, I mean, what else from the offense stood out? I mean, the run game was interesting because Tori and Adai, Adai uh, had good games, but Tori kind of like hit a wall, I guess. The offensive line I thought was very inconsistent. No, I 100% agree. I think, yeah, I think Adai by far was the better back in this one. I don't think, I mean, Tori goes 29 carries for 73 yards. And I mean, just a lot of times, especially as he got into the second half, it seemed like they'd try to run him up in the middle and he'd just get stuffed by the Liberty defensive line. Like they had figured out those, you know, up the gut runs and Tory just wasn't getting a lot going. Shout out to Adeyi, actually a little spoiler. I might have a feature story on him on the way here in a couple of days for you guys to check out a little, uh, nice stuff on his background and that kind of thing, because, you know, he has really stepped in nicely uh, with some of the running back injuries that they've had. And I was, it was nice to see Ragsdale get in there a couple times, but he didn't really play much. I think maybe he's got to be still dealing with some kind of injuries or something, or maybe the coaching staff just doesn't trust him, but yeah, overall the running game, I would say day was solid. Tory was meh. Um, the one stat I did want to highlight was, they scored a, four, a first quarter touchdown for the second time all year. It was the first first quarter touchdown since the season opener against Northwestern State, and they only had one in the first quarter in that game too. 
So that, that just highlights how bad the team has been in early in games and how different the problems were in this one, because it wasn't that they had a bad start necessarily. They just made some mistakes, but it was the fact that they just couldn't finish the game. And I mean, they couldn't finish the game, but also whenever you have that many opportunities early in a game and you're only up 20 to 14 at halftime, like you just leave yourself very, very limited in terms of margin of error, in terms of momentum. Like there was points, there's no reason they shouldn't have been up. They should not have been up at least two scores going to halftime. Like at the very least, we're talking like 24 to 14 or something like that, right? Like yeah. I couldn't believe that they were just going to halftime and, and Liberty had chances. If, if Malik Willis was quarterback, cause ben, Bennett missed a few throws in that second quarter late that could, that were busted coverages. Like that's another thing about the defense. Like I'm hesitant to like give them credit here because I thought Liberty had some wide open dudes that were just missed. They were just missed. And that was especially highlighted at the end of the second quarter when Bennett just continuously just overthrew his dudes uh, who were wide open. So they were lucky they weren't down going into halftime. And yet I felt like they should have probably been up like th- two or three scores. So I, I mean, as much as I, I want to give them credit for coming out and playing with energy, that's all great, but they still have no explosive plays, and part of that is personnel. But again, that's this is this. I don't want to rehash old arguments, but I mean, this is they have no depth for some reason, even though they've been here for six years, this coaching staff or this head coach, and now they can't execute in the red zone. So you're don't have big plays, and you can't finish drives with touchdowns in the red zone. So you know, that just that just spells disaster. And then that's how you end up with 26 points when you have 454 yards. Yeah. Well, and I want to talk about the Malik Willis thing, man, because I mean, three quarters of the crazy storylines in this game just center around him. Like first off, shout out to the defense. They got back-to-back sacks on him uh, like midway through the second quarter. He ends up going out of the game. I learned later that he had an injury to his left foot, but they take him through the tunnel and he ends up getting in a van and being taken like away from the stadium completely. So like they took him somewhere else, wasn't clear exactly where he went to a hospital or somewhere for further evaluation. But then he comes back and he comes in for the second drive of the second half, you know, ends up only missing like, I think 15 minutes of game time total, plus whatever had happened over the halftime break. Yeah. And he came in and gutted it out, you know, went through some early pain, but he seemed to really settle in and have a big game. Obviously, there's the controversial play with him throwing it backwards out of the end zone and whether that should have been intentional grounding. There's the shovel pass that you posted on your Twitter where he just rolled out, (laughs) missed like six different, you know, potential sacks and ends up just tossing it out, you know, flicking his wrist and getting like a 20 yard gain out of it. So there was just so much surrounding Willis in this one. And he really wasn't even all that crazy impressive throughout the game he just had a few plays here and there and did enough down the stretch to get liberty the win isn't it crazy he only attempted 18 passes yeah no that was wild like that's just he attempted okay he attempted 18 passes and then liberty's rushing attack average had averaged 1.5 yards per carry like obviously that's including sacks whatever but like you just take those two stats and you go into a game being like all right we hold malik willis to 12 18 passing for 202 222 yards and their top two running backs go for 25 yards and 16 yards. Like there's no way you lose that game. There's none. And, but now here we are thinking like, 
well, they just they literally couldn't stop them after the first quarter, pretty much. I'm not going to say they couldn't stop them, but you know what I mean. They give up 35 points all in the last three quarters. And defensively, I, I think Bennett had his mind in the right spot here. Bring pressure because your secondary can't hold up for anything, especially once they got hurt. As the game wore on, they kind of dropped out a little bit more out of pressures, trying to confuse them, which I kind of understand, but you really just got to bring it like, 60% of the time like you got to just go and um because that's clearly the strength of your defense your defensive line and I I don't think the linebackers I, I kind of came to this realization if you want the first hot take I think of this podcast um I think Katie Davis is the only good linebacker on this team sheesh I I think I I just see Tyreek Davis and Kevin I'm not Kevin, with Larry Nixon I just don't see them doing anything here like Malik Willis escapes the pocket and they just they're not even competitive in tackling him. Like I think Katie Davis is the only one I trust to kind of do anything in the open field. Um, but still that's your strength of defense. And you kept dropping out, dropping out in the second half. And I was kind of questioning that. Um, but the second, the injury to the secondary really just hurt, really hurt this team. Um, if you, you want to run down them, I know John Davis to Sean Gaddy's dejection with targeting call, which I was kind of 50, 50 on. I am at the moment still, I mean, I, he did duck his head, but it was kind of soft in a sense. So um, you had Gaddy, Davis, Upton Stout was out before the game. Uh, who am I missing here? Uh, Quinn Whitlock went out as well in the second quarter with an injury. So, yeah, you had Stout, Whitlock, Deshaun Gaddy, then John Davis Jr. goes out in the third quarter. So you're playing Dylan Williams and Harold West, two freshmen out there, which – don't get me started on Harold West. I complimented him after last game, but this game he was awful, man. Like the first play he was in the game, I think he got a personal foul penalty. Yeah. And like, then the next one he gets burnt deep for a touchdown. Yeah. Like just bad. You you I don't care if you're fresh off the sidelines. You you gotta be better than that. And you gotta make you can't give up a touchdown on this like the second play basically that you're in the game. Like he wasn't good. Dylan Williams, I thought, was mad, but him and Harold West were the two on that side when they got beat over the top on that touchdown, so he played a role in that too. So, yeah, just the guys that were stepping in weren't good enough, and the secondary just, yeah, wasn't good at all tonight. They, they ended up rolling with uh, safety. At safety, Mikhail Sanders played the whole game. Uh, Keelan Crosby went in and played a lot, which yeah, he did. was an interesting situation because I just assumed that he was buried on the depth chart, which he probably was, but they had to move Harold West around. I think they went to a little more seven-man boxes with uh, whether that's three, four, or four, three. I think they went to that a little bit more once uh, Davis went down and they had to move Dylan Williams on the outside. I don't, when Dylan Williams was recruited, I didn't see him as a corner, but obviously this is a situation that they're throwing in right now. And then who was number 26? out there playing oh, right corner. yes so that was ridge tahada he actually okay, that's got, what i like, was last that's minute, what i was guessing last minute that's, number change so yeah. that's why he had unique numbers it's not on the depth chart but yeah, yeah that was ridge tahada that's what i guessed that's what i assumed but even on the broadcast you could tell um kyle humans shout out kyle humans i don't think he's listening but uh my guy uh he was like and the pass breakup by the north texas secondary and i was like okay good <laughs> good i'm not the only one that doesn't know who 26 is yeah. so i mean I, I, it goes back to me. I, for me, just, I know they tried making it simple, dropping into zones, like not keeping anything complex, but still there were some busted coverages still. They couldn't cover them. I think you just got to bring pressure because at the end of the day, you're starting, you, you had Rich Tejada, Dylan Williams and Harold West all in your secondary. And those are all true freshmen. Like you got to just, 
hope that you can get to Malik Willis at that point. That's my opinion. I think you got to just blitz him. So, yeah, well, and I think too, you hit on a good point there because when you're playing zone and look, I wasn't a good high school football player, but we played a bunch of zone defense and I was a defensive back. And the one spot you can't get beat when you're playing zone is over the top. And these guys still found a way to get beat over the top, man. Like that's the one place you're not supposed to get beat. You're supposed to be giving up the short passes, right? You're supposed to be playing with some cushion off the guys and they still got beat over the top. Yeah. Um, I, the, the penalties were, were kind of lessened obviously when you come off of a week where you have 160 yards of penalties. Um, they only, they only had nine for 89 yards, but there were still some costly ones. Like you mentioned, the Harold West late hit one was big. Um, there were a couple of holding calls. I mean, I thought the offensive line did not play well at all. I thought it was a struggle for them um, across the board. Um, and I mean, really every area, right? Offensive line had a couple. Secondary had a couple. Um, the Murphys had their their handful, which we always they always have. So, you know, I guess we can just chalk that up to just them being them at this point. <laughs> um yeah, and you want to know what else they had? North Texas had three sideline warnings in this game. Oh, yeah. Three of them. And the first one is just a warning, but then the next two are five-yard penalties. And I don't understand how you can get three of those in a single game. Maybe it's just the officials emphasizing it, but, like, after the first one, you have to, like, mentally make the correction, right, and not, you know, be on the field of play when you're not supposed to be in that kind of thing. Like, those are just inexcusable. And one of them gave a first down. Yeah. And so you're just – it's it's really just inexplicable inexcusable i the the discipline issues just don't aren't just the players they're obviously um leak into leak into the coaching stuff as well as far as teaching and emphasizing stuff goes so um where where do you want to take us from here oh we haven't talked about austin Ani. How do you think oh, Austin Ani played? I can, I can go all in on Austin Ani, man. Oh, God. I mean, we have. All we, right, please, please, on. <laughs> please, no more F-bombs, please. <laughs> yes, I, I apologize again for, for that early in the I'm podcast, man. But, um, you know, I mean, Austin Ani, as we said a little bit before, like his stats look fine, but it was not a good game, man. Like he missed on several passes that he should have hit on throws two interceptions and really could have had a third that was negated by a pass interference penalty. So really, and he only throws for the one touchdown pass to Jason Pirtle, which shout out to Jason Pirtle. I do want to mention one story. I don't know if you saw it got posted online, but his dad uh, like eight weeks ago or so was basically told he had two weeks to live recently got released from the hospital. So shout out to Jason Pirtle for playing through all that and just being able to still do what he does despite all that stuff going on behind the scenes. But yeah, if we want to get back to Ani, I mean, just not a good showing. I don't care what the stats say. He was bad. I mean, the stats say 212 yards on 22, 35 passing, like 63 point, like two 63% completion percentage, 212 yards, one touchdown, two picks. And and that's where and it's funny. Cause you're like, all right, I don't care what the stats say. He didn't play well. Those stats are not good. At the end no, of the day, like, but, but compared for what we've seen from him in the quarterback position, those are probably what the best stats since, oh, I, don't, I don't even know, did SMU or, or, or North, North Northwestern State? Maybe the Missouri game where they got the Missouri the passing game. late. Yes. That's, yes. that's probably the only other one they've yes. been good passing the ball because even Northwestern State, they didn't do a ton. It was mostly the run game. Yeah. So I'd say Missouri was the only other game where the pass game has been and close to these kind of stats. Literally, that this is probably the second best passing performance of the year. 
even and it's still bad and it was not good at all if it was any good if it was decent at all they would have won this game like you you can't i and the thing is we can see it too we can see that they know that they can't throw the ball and they don't trust austin on which i don't really blame them but the way that they're running the ball isn't just this all right we're gonna run the ball instead of the pass it's literally we're gonna run the ball because we have no other option to run the ball and liberty like i said did not sell out to stop the run which i think they should have but you go out there and you give up a day 100 yards uh 73 yards tory austin Ani's quarterback draws and quarterback powers went for 56 yards somehow like i i it's literally just an offense that just hopes that the uh, the defense doesn't play the run consistently because they're not going to burn you over the top on play actions. They're not going to complete consistent passes. They're probably going to throw interceptions here. It's one of the worst offenses in the country. And here we are. I mean, part of it is of course, I'm going to go back to it. The, the receiver situation is not ideal with the injuries. Um, I did see, was that Lorenzo Thompson out there on punt return on punt coverage. Yeah. So he was out there. Bryson Jackson's been back a bit. He made a catch or two, but yeah. he also had a couple drops that were just inexcusable as well. He doesn't look very comfortable out there. So yeah, even some of those guys that have been sort of banged up a little bit in the past, like they get back in, but they're not really playing significant roles. Not, not the kind of roles that we would have thought coming into the season. But like, why is Lorenzo playing on, as a gunner here? When if he's not 100% healthy, he's probably gonna have to potentially make a hit there as yeah. a as a gunner. Um, maybe since it's closer to the end zone, you obviously assume that maybe it's a fair catch or 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 an end zone type play. Maybe that's the thinking. But like that's Lorenzo Thompson. That's your best receiver on the team at this point. And so I, I saw that and I was like, why is he not on on the offense? What what has happened? If he can catch a punt out of the air, I mean. Hell, man, he's probably better than some of the receivers that are out there throwing out there. I mean, so between Lorenzo Thompson and that Kaika Ragsdale, I'm assuming they're hurt. I'm assuming they're hurt because there's no reason not to play them. A Kaika yeah. Ragsdale before the season, I was being told this is the second best back on the team. Like, because Tory was going to play slaughter, remember? So it was going to yeah. be Attaway and Ragsdale. That's what I was being told before the season. I don't know if I've said that on the fight, but like, that's what I was being told. And then... Obviously, Attaway goes down, Torrey moves back in, but I'm still thinking Ragsdale is going to be a big part of it. Isaiah Johnson was hurt this game. So when I saw Ragsdale go out there um, on punt, on uh, uh, for a couple runs at the end, I'm like, what, where is he? Yeah, why? I mean, if you're going to play him for a couple runs like that, why aren't you just playing him the entire game? And yeah, if you want to talk about Isaiah Johnson too, he's been out for several games in a row now. I'm not sure what the deal is and, you know, Obviously, Latrell doesn't like to comment on injuries, so we don't really know the severity of any of this stuff. I mean, the only reason we know some of the stuff on Tommy Bush and Jair Shorter is because it finally came out during the bye week. But, like, we have no idea how severe the injuries are. But, yeah, I don't even – I don't understand either why Ragsdale gets in there at all if he's too hurt for you to play him most of the game. I mean, what's the point to get him a couple meaningless touches at the end? Yeah, that was was weird to me. Um, Let's see what else I have written down here. I got one thing that I want to touch on for sure, which is just the freaking ridiculous punt return touchdown they give up. (laughs) Like, and that to me, that was the turning point of the game, to be quite honest with you, because Liberty had gone down and scored a touchdown. North Texas goes basically three and out. I think it might have been four plays because there was a holding penalty or something that made them play third down again. 
but they're going to punt it away. And here's the crazy part. Cause we, I talked to Latrell and asked him how costly that was post game. And he said, coming in, they knew that's an all American punt returner back there. Like literally last year, he was a freshman, all American. And Bernardo Rodriguez knows he's not supposed to punt it to that guy, but he still punts it in bounds to the guy. And sure enough, he takes it, you know, 70 plus yards to the house for a touchdown that puts Liberty up 28, 26 gives them their first lead of the game. And then they just never give it up after that. So that's just one of those inexplicable mistakes on special teams that you just can't have made. Like, I don't care if the punt goes 20 yards or even one yard, like one of the Liberty punts did earlier in the game, get the damn thing out of bounds, man. Like there's no reason for it to stay in bounds and give that guy a chance to make a play when yep. you're still leading in that game and Liberty has some momentum going, you can't let them just keep building it like that. Yeah. Um, not only was it in bounds, but it was also low. It was obviously not kicked well. It had, gave him a lot of space to work with. Um, you just go down the list. But another thing that stood out to me on that play, and another reason why I think it was so important that it was emphasized going into the game not to punt it to him. If you look at who's on that punt coverage team, it's not anybody who basically starts on defense for the most part. Like I was looking at it and it's it's numbers and guys who I don't, I don't think I know, like for the most part, like I, I was, I rewound, I rewinded it. And I was like, who the heck is this number? I don't even remember what the numbers were, but like 20 something, eight, 60 something, you know, I'm like, who yeah. are these people? So I'm like, all right, that that's, that's obviously a problem here. Like the depth of this team is obviously taking a hit, but still at some point, like if you have to throw, Harold West out there, or if you have to throw a, a, a guy who's going to play out there. So that way you can, that doesn't happen. You have to do that because I was looking at that. And I'm like, who is on this punt coverage team? So I thought that was another funny thing. I was just like, all right, man, they, they literally can't punt it to people because they have walk-ons on the punt coverage team at this point. So, <laughs> and that's not a shot to everybody who plays on the, the punt coverage team, because I'm maybe I'm, I missed a couple of dudes, but I just, that's what I saw. That's what I saw. So, yeah, no, I, I 100% agree with you on that. And, uh, you know, it, unless you got something else you want to go on in terms of specifics like that, I got a fun little thing that I'd love to get into. Go, uh, go ahead. I, the only thing I, I want to talk about, which we can probably talk about after after we do yours, um, is what move, moving forward, just our expectations. Okay, yeah, mine was more general anyway, but it's that Liberty needs to be the Conference USA champions this year. It just needs to happen because they're now 4-0 against Conference USA teams. They've beat Middle Tennessee, Old Dominion, UAB. Those three by a combined average of 26.7 points per game. And then they beat UNT, which somehow UNT has the smallest margin of victory out of all four of those teams. Yeah. But still, Liberty's 4-0 against CUSA teams. Just call Liberty the Conference USA champs at this point. Especially since UAB lost. I mean, just have a UTSA versus Liberty game as the conference yeah, championship honestly, game. You might because, as well. Because nobody else here is deserving of doing anything. FAU, Marshall, UAB, Latte, Even Western Kentucky. Western. I mean, that's no. Yeah, no. Liberty is definitely better than those. And I don't even think Liberty's that good either. That's the thing. Yeah. Like they were very unimpressive in this game. Very, very unimpressive. Defensively, I thought they were very shaky. I mean, you give up 450 yards to this North Texas team. Um, and then offensively, obviously, you had the weird situation with Willis, but still, I didn't think they were overly explosive, which is weird for a team that we expected to be great coming into the season. Um, so I, I don't looking kind of just more general and just like looking ahead, I 
I don't know what I can take from this game moving forward. Like, was there anything that maybe you're like, okay, this, I learned this about the team or I, I can see this working moving forward or something like that. I mean, because the schedule gets easier now, right? This is, this is the end does. of the death stretch. It's the end of the quote unquote death stretch of the six games where we were like, all right, games two through seven, that's brutal. And sure enough, we were right. It was brutal, but it might've been even easier than we thought though. Right. If you look at it, right. Like Missouri was not that good. Uh, Liberty Marshall, not law tech. I didn't think was that good, but obviously SMU and, um, who am I missing in that uh, UAB stretch? And yeah, UAB is probably that good too. But still, um, you look at that six-game stretch, I don't even think it's as good as we thought it was going to be going into the season, and they still lost every single game. Yeah. I mean, if you want to look at on the positive side a little bit, I did love, as you highlighted earlier, the pressure they got on the quarterback. I want to highlight a few guys. Grayson Murphy did get two and a half sacks in this one, and he was back there quite a bit. I think he had, he had like a half a sack on three different plays. So. He was back in the backfield a lot. Dion Noville finally putting up some pretty significant stats. He's got one and a half sacks on the game, five tackles total. Katie Davis had a half a sack. Larry Nixon had a sack. So, I mean, I think the pass rush was encouraging. Um, I don't know how good this Liberty offensive line actually was, but the pass rush definitely was one thing that I feel like they definitely have to use more going forward because – even against some of these bad teams, it's pretty clear the secondary can't hold up against pretty much any kind of mediocre to above average playmakers. So the pass rush is going to have to be big going forward. Um, it was encouraging to see another big game from Iowa Dei as well. Just seeing that they at least do have a second back when Johnson clearly can't play and Ragsdale might as well not be playing too. Seems like they're both banged up. So it's nice they've got another back there because – I think you can tell still that Tory's probably not 100% anyway. He's definitely playing through something, it seems like to me at least, and that's completely speculation, but it looks that way. So the run game and the pass rush are going to have to be, I think, the strengths going forward because we've seen even if Ani completed 63% of his passes, he can't hit the shots when he needs to hit them consistently. So it's going to have to be the run game and the pass rush that carry these guys to – any kind of wins and get them to any semblance of like a four and eight season. Yep. You mentioned those bad teams. Uh, we got rice and Southern miss coming up as the next two games, uh, both on the road, um, both must wins in my opinion. Um, so, uh, and rice obviously just beat UAB on the road in Alabama um, in a pretty dominant performance from start to finish. It wasn't, I didn't watch it, but based on everything I saw on Twitter and kind of how the game played out, I mean, Rice led from vast majority of the game and ends up pulling out the win. And so you're going over there. Rice has some momentum, obviously coming off that. And I think their defense might be better than Liberty's at this point. So you know, that doesn't set up well. Um, I, I'm not going to try to predict it or anything like that, but I'm just, I, I don't, I think that's going to be a pretty ugly game as far as like styles go. Cause you have obviously two kind of run heavy teams and I don't think, I think two quarterbacks that are limited. So I mean, you know, for, for gambling purposes, if anybody out there gambles, I'm going to be uh, taking the under of whatever that game is <laughs> like, like point total wise, I could see it being like at most like 28, 24 type thing, like 52 points. So 
Um, yeah, that's what I was thinking. So yeah, no, we got I mean, Rice and Southern Miss coming up here. Rice is such a weird team to me, man, because that's the same team that got blown out 45-0 by UTSA. And then they go out and beat UAB hey, somehow. Hey, hey, UTSA is beating the hell out of everybody right now. No, I know. And credit to UTSA. Like UTSA is a really freaking good team, but like Rice loses 45-0 to them and then beats UAB. I mean, it makes yeah. me question how bad North Texas might be that they lost 40-6 to to UAB. <laughs> like, I don't – you know what I mean, though? Like, yeah. it, it's it's crazy, really. And I know it's hard to play the, like, transitive property game yeah. in college football because week-to-week stuff changes, and you're not always playing the same team. But, yeah, the, the, <laughs> Rice is really, really a confusing team to see. So I'm not entirely sure – what we're going to see out of them, but I mean, they're definitely going to be a good opponent and, you know, Southern Miss is really the only game I see on this that really is like, if they don't beat those guys, Latrell has to be gone after that game. How's you know FIU I mean? doing? FIU lost to Western that. today, 34 to 19. So, you know, probably about on par for what we'd expect. They lost to Charlotte by 12, lost to FAU by 37, 37, uh, lost to central Michigan by four Texas tech by 34, three lost to Texas state. Yeah. This team's not good either. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you got those two games, uh, three games really right between rice, Southern Mist and FIU. That should be the focus of this program of the, the fans because Lord knows, um, I don't want I don't want them to play UTEP. I know that. I don't I don't I don't think UTEP at home is gonna be fun for anybody here. Um I mean you look at the home games, they're gonna go potentially one in five at home. Yeah, and that was the crazy thing to me that I was just thinking about, you know, today is how you want your schedule to be structured, right? Because like all the good teams on their schedule, they got all of them at home, basically. Like I know Missouri was on the road, but outside of the Missouri game. I mean, SMU, that's basically a home game. You're playing in Dallas. It's not far away, and it's not like the fans show up for SMU anyway. Yeah. So that's basically a home game. And then, I mean, you get Marshall, Liberty, UTEP, UTSA, and UAB at home. Like, you get all the good teams in the Northwestern States, the only bad team you get at home, right? So to me, if I'm looking at a schedule, you I mean, you want the good teams at home, right? You want the best chance to beat them and – you would typically think home field advantage and being at home gives you the best chance, but it hasn't worked this year. That's for sure. Yep. Um, last thing I'll say, um, it looked like a just empty stadium. Uh, what did, did, what was it? It was an empty stadium. And, and how much do you think of that is like just an, a, a, a microcosm of where this program's at right now? Yeah. I mean, it definitely wasn't a great turnout. I don't think the stadium was even approaching halfway full. Um, the student section did a decent job of at least filling up somewhat in the bottom section as the game got going a little bit. But I mean, overall, I don't know, probably a third, two fifths full. I mean, 30, 40%. Like it wasn't halfway full. That's for sure. Oh God, no. I mean, the pictures I saw, it looked, it looked empty, empty. Like I, it was almost, it's basically as empty as I've ever seen it. I'm trying to think the Southern Miss game, I think 2019, I believe it was. Am I right on that? 2019, it was raining. And I think that was perhaps the, no, it had to be 2018 then. That doesn't feel right. But yeah, 2018 Southern Miss game, I believe it was. Um, 
where just nobody came out if I, if I remember correctly. That, that's what it felt like. So, um, yeah, I just feel like there's no excitement right now, obviously. And um, I'm not sure that there's going to be any reason to be excited moving forward because. Well, yeah. And, and this is coming off the week where North Texas announces they're going to the American Athletic Conference and everybody, <laughs> you know, is getting all excited about that. And then they go and have an opportunity to win and capitalize on some of that momentum. And they still can't get it done in a game that realistically they should have won. Yep. Yep. So um, I don't have anything else on this one. Um, another disappointing performance, another disappointing result. Um, just if you want the enraged version of this, go and listen to last week's podcast because it's pretty much the same thing except on like, 10 times the the energy so um yeah man it's well on the bright side it's almost basketball season uh we actually have to we got to get a basketball pot out probably next week at some point so be on the lookout for that uh we'll start i mean the season starts november 9th and it's october 23rd right now so yeah we got about got next week we'll figure out a basketball podcast and that'll get some excitement going in the in the world of north texas but until then uh we got y'all's rice preview stuff um throughout the week john does obviously um yeah man anything else uh i guess i did want to touch real quick just on aaron beckham and the game he had he hit both of his extra points went two of three on field goals i mean he missed the last one which basically felt like the nail in the coffin at that point because if they hit that you know they can try an onside and maybe have a chance to tie the game up at the end or win it um but I thought, you know, given the circumstances with him having to step in, obviously I have no idea what was wrong with Mooney. He just, I was told he wasn't available for this one, yeah. which, you know, who knows what that's about. But I thought, you know, given the circumstances, he did a fine job. And I mean, for a freshman being put in that position at the end, I mean, obviously you want and expect your kicker to make that kick, but realistically it, it was never going to be on him in the first place with how bad it was across the ball anyway. So overall, I thought he did fine. And you know, shout out to him for stepping into a bad situation and trying to make the most of it. Yep. Definitely not on him. Definitely not on the officials for, I mean, that grounding call or whatever. Um, yeah, definitely just on this team as a whole, just not getting it done. So, all right, man, we, uh, good to go at, uh, 11 PM on Saturday. Yes, sir. All right. All right. Well, that's what we have for y'all today. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Uh, leave us a, uh, a follow and a, five-star rating and review on Apple. Follow us on SoundCloud if that's where you listen to our podcast. Uh, follow us on Twitter at MeanGreen247. Follow John at Twitter at JohnField0. Follow me on Twitter at MatthewBruni underscore. Um, and follow MeanGreen247 at MeanGreen2247. Send the podcast to your friends, your family, um, any and all North Texas fans. Uh, check out our last podcast, like I said, if you want to hear our takes on Seth Luttrell. Um and yeah, Rice next week. Like I said, we'll have a basketball podcast probably coming up here soon. Start to rev up the basketball content. So um, if you enjoy that, John's already been to a couple practices, given some VIP notes. So become a subscriber on Mean Green 247 uh, if you want the latest on that. But yeah, thank you all for joining us. And we will talk to you all later.